0: Just a quick reminder, turn your cell phones off. <laughs> Be better for everyone. Uh, Kenny, I don't know if you remember this, but I first met Kenny, I was either 94 or 95, in the hotel lobby in Brunswick. I was uh, actually preaching at a memorial service for the Georgia Jail Association. And I come out, and there's this guy out there, and he said, just came up to me real aggressive and stuck his hand out and said, I'm Kenny, Kenny Grant. So I had some place to be, but I heard someone using the Bible and preaching there, and I just had to wait and see who it was. Who are you? <laughs> so, <laughs> and uh, a few years after that, I guess, is when he moved to the Savannah. We've been friends ever since. Um, and uh, it, it's, a, it's a great friendship. And the main reason for that is because of who he is. Uh, Kenny's a godly man. You can't say that about a lot of people. Uh, and. Uh, you know, he's pastored several churches. Many individuals know him from Band of Brothers. Wherever he goes, when he speaks, he's not there to give a motivational speech. He's coming from the Word of God, teaching the Word of God, seeking to live out the Word of God, helping, trying to help change lives through the Word of God. It's all focused on, on the Scripture. His view of the Bible is the same as mine. It is the inerrant Word of God. Uh, he loves it. He has a great reverence for it. Um, and it is everything. Uh, in, in that way, we are twins in every way. Um, and uh, it's a pleasure to, uh, to be able to call him our, our, uh, my brother. And so, brother, I'm looking forward to hearing uh, from God's word from you this morning. Come on up and lay down on us, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. All right. Do you have something a little shorter
1: than this right here? That Can you all see me? I'm back here. All right. All right. Praise the Lord. All right. It's good to be here this morning. And I will tell you this right off the bat. It touches my heart that Brother Bob will say those things about me because I know what kind of a man he is. I celebrate this day with you. I'll just tell you how it happened that I'm here, and I'm still in shock. Uh, but uh, <laughs> I saw him one day. I said, Bob, I said, I'd said love to come to Ferguson Avenue and be a blessing to the people out there. I said, I'd love to come preach any time. He said, well, I don't feel led. I said, uh, I said, what? He said, well, I don't feel led. Well, the next time I saw him, I said, well, Brother Bob, I said, really, I, I love the people of God. I, I love Ferguson Avenue. I've heard it's a great church. I love to come be a blessing out there, Would you letting me come. You wouldn't have to give me a love offering or anything. I'll come and preach. He said, well, brother, I just, I just don't feel led. The last time I saw him, I said, Brother Bob, I said, now listen, I will come out there and preach, and not only will you not have to give me a love gift, I'll pay you a hundred bucks. And so here I am. I'm glad, <laughs> I'm glad to be here. Take your Bibles and be finding the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter number 16. Matthew chapter number 16, it is sort of a familiar passage in Scripture. And uh, it is good to be in, if you're glad to be here this morning, say amen. 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 I hope, the Bible says, you know, everything in me, let everything in me. I'm to praise the Lord with everything in me. That is, when I, when I praise the Lord, listen, I'm to do it with my will, my intellect, and my emotion. I'm to leave nothing of who I am at home. Now, the emotions ought not be the engine in the train. It is to be the caboose, the caboose, but it's a part of the train. What God, has, this is how God has made us. And so I hope you didn't use all of your emotions on the Georgia game yesterday. <laughs> I hope you brought them with you this morning. And let us praise the Lord because he's worthy of praise. And he's worthy of a holy hallelujah from our mouths. And not just from our mouths, from our very souls. He's worthy. And so here in this familiar passage, in Matthew chapter number 6, I'm going to dive into the passage. And beginning at verse number 13, you remember this, this is familiar now. I believe that Jesus and his men were on a retreat. The Bible says, now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Now, Jesus never asked questions because he did not know answers. Jesus always asked questions to provoke thought and to to get answers that would be even a blessing to you and I today. Jesus never asked questions simply to get information. I often say, has it ever occurred to you that nothing has ever occurred to him? And he knows it all, and so he asked this question of those men. Now notice, and they said, some say John the Baptist. That's interesting. Herod thought that maybe Jesus was John the Baptist raised from the dead. John the Baptist was sort of a peculiar sort of a figure. In fact, many people thought that he was demon-possessed, but he did no miracles, and somehow there was a likeness that John the Baptist had to Jesus. And some people thought that Jesus, or the Son of Man, or this Messiah, was John the Baptist. Others said Elijah. Elijah. And John the Baptist would be the New Testament of the Old Testament, Elijah. Others, Jeremiah. Jeremiah was a man of passion, a weeping prophet, and Jesus was known to weep. Or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Now, the world had many ideas about who Jesus is, even today. Today. But the church had better know. We better know who he is. And so he said, but who do you say I am? How many of you know that it would be Simon Peter who would speak up? (laughs) Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ. The anointed one, the Messiah. The son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. I believe Jesus is using here some wordplay. Just as I am the son of my father, you're the son of your father. I am the son of my heavenly father, you're the son of your earthly father. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. In other words, this was not something that your father could have taught you. But my father who is in heaven... Has revealed this great truth to you and I tell you you are Peter and on this rock I believe this to be the rock of Peter's confession this great foundational truth that Jesus is the Christ the anointed the Messiah The one and only Son of God. The one and only Son of the one and only living God. And then Jesus says this. Upon this rock, I will build my church. Five words. I will build my church. I believe five words that change the world. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus said, I will build my church. Five words. And I want to talk to you. And by the way, congratulations, 55 years of being faithful to the word of God. And it bespeaks the faithfulness of the God of the word. Amen. That you're still here, moreover. And I celebrate with you. Uh, But I want to talk today about the church. I want to talk just in the short time that I have about these five words that Jesus spoke that day. There with his men, that little group of men who no doubt did not understand as much at that point as you and I understand today. Jesus says, upon this rock, the rock of that statement, that foundational truth that I am the Christ, I will build my church. I will build my church. I want to look at this phrase in five different ways. Notice, Jesus says, I will build my church. 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 church." And Jesus said, I will build my church. Five aspects of these five words. I will build my church. Now, first thing I want you to notice is what I might call his personal involvement. I will build my church. Jesus is personally involved with everything that has to do with his church. Jesus is not simply seated at the right hand of the Father, and he is at some great distance from the church. Jesus this morning is personally involved with everything that pertains to his blessed church. Consider with me the purchase of the church. Remember what. Paul said to the leaders there, the Ephesian elders there and my leaders, he says, listen, he says, take heed to yourselves and to the church over which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to take care of the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. The purchase of the church. Jesus did not send a proxy for his church. Jesus himself shed his own precious blood For the church so the purchase of the church. He's personally involved. The program of the church. He says, hey, go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. The Holy Spirit. Excuse me, I forgot. The Holy Spirit. We're more educated than to say Holy Ghost anymore. (laughs) The Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commended you, and lo, I am with you. Yes. He says, I am personally involved with the program that the church, hey, listen, if this church is on mission, it'll be about the Great Commission. Amen. It'll be about getting the gospel to the uttermost parts of the earth. And Jesus says, go. And He, when Jesus says, go, are y'all here this morning? When Jesus says go, he's not saying you go, he's saying let's go. Because he says I am what? With you. I'm with you. So the purchase of the church, the program of the church, the progress of the church, as it was then, so it is now. The Bible says that the Lord was adding daily to the church such as were being saved. And so it is today. The church progressive, it progresses and, and people are being saved. The productivity of the church. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you abide in me and I abide in you, that's the person who brings forth much fruit. For without me you can do what? No, you know what nothing is? It's a zero with the Remy raised. <laughs> nothing. Without me, you can do nothing, not just the purchase of the church or the program of the church or the progress of the church or the productivity of the church. But the very perfecting and the performance of the church is Jesus in Revelation. It's the Lord Jesus in Revelation 2 and 3, walking in the midst of the candlesticks. It is the Lord Jesus Christ making assessment of his church. And he said to the church of Ephesus, I know thy works. He said to the church at Smyrna, I know thy works. He said to the church of Pergamon, I know thy works. To the church of Thyatira, I know thy works. To the church of Sardis. I know thy works. To the church of Philadelphia and the church of Laodicea, I know thy works. Jesus is personally involved in every aspect of every church. And he says to Ferguson Avenue Baptist Church this morning, I know thy works. And he says to Calvary, we have some folk from Calvary, I know thy works. I know thy works. Jesus is personally involved with the progress of the church and the performance of the church and the program of the church and the purchase of the church. And Jesus is personally involved with the persecution of the church. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Not why are you persecuting the church. But why are you persecuting me? Yes, yes. Here's what he was saying. When you persecute the church, you persecute me. Right. Yeah. Jesus takes it personally. Right. Now, if some of you folks are happy, you need to notify your face. Yeah. <laughs> he said, "Hey, you are persecuted. Who art thou, Lord? Who are you? It's Jesus. I'm Jesus who you are persecuting. Jesus takes it personally. And then he is personally involved with the placement of the church. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Jesus prayed this in John chapter number 17 in verse 24 to the Father, that those whom he had given him might be with him where he is, that we might behold his glory. Sometimes we spend more time praying that our loved ones won't go to heaven and Jesus prayed that they would. That's right. We want to hold on and hold on and hold on. And Jesus is prayed right there in that prayer. We'll look at him just a little bit. Where he says, I want them to be where I am. Because that's where we belong, at his side. Yes. And so the personal involvement, the personal involvement of the Lord Jesus Christ with his church, I will build my church. Second thing, notice not only his personal involvement, but his purposeful intention. His purposeful intention. He says, I will build my church. This is not just, ladies and gentlemen, a prediction. It's a promise. This this is not just in the future sense I will build it. It does mean that. At this point no one had ever heard of the church. In fact this was not even a technical or formal usage of that word But, but the idea that Jesus says I will build my church. He mentions it here for the first time in all of scripture. It's only mentioned one more time in the whole of the gospels. And Paul begins to unfold the mystery for us as we read through Acts, for instance, and as we get to the book of Ephesus and the book of Colossians. But, but but, I want you to see here that Jesus says, I will build a church not just in the future sense, but in the factual sense. This is a declaration of certainty. A promise. I will build my church. And listen to me, people of God, no matter what is happening in the world today, know this, that Jesus Christ is building his church. Whatever else, whatever else we might say, whatever else we might see, what, what we hear with the noise and the news and the nonsense in this world that may disturb us, may perturb us. Listen, know this Everything's right on schedule God's not running around in heaven Wringing his hands, friends He's seated He's in sovereign control And hey, we ought to have A peace That passes understanding Because everything is right On schedule Jesus is building this church And I'm telling you We read the news and as our brothers already prayed this morning, there's so much that we hear and so much that we see. And so much in this, in the environs of the world that would disturb us. But the confident thing is that the word of God is still true. Jesus said what he meant. He meant what he said. He's building the church. And you know, the world is not so much interested in truth. And, and it seems like today, the church is not so much interested in truth. More and more interested in what's trending rather than what's truth. And so, so people say, well, uh, what did Lady Gaga wear to the ball? What's it matter? Jesus is building his church. Amen. Oh, the Texas Rangers won the World Series. What it matter? Jesus is building his church. You said, all oh, the Democrats ain't got the Senate. Do they have the Senate? They have the Senate. Hey, 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 would you listen to me? Jesus is building his church. Friend, I'm telling you, you look around. I mean, you could be disturbed. You find yourself angry. Find yourself with angst and anxiety. All these things that we ought not not be asked. And the reason why is because we get our eyes and our our hearts off the promises of God. No wonder Isaiah said, I will keep him in perfect peace. Whose mind is what? Stayed on thee because he's trusting And Jesus promised to build his church. And he said the very gates of hell, the powers of hell. If that means death, as some believe, it means that death itself can't keep Jesus from building his church. In fact, it would be how he would build it. (laughs) Amen. Mm -hmm. It would be how he would die out yonder on Calvary in order that he might be able to build this church. His personal involvement, I will build my church. His purposeful intention, I will build it. Hell itself can't keep me from building it. And then thirdly, I will build my church. Not only his personal involvement in it. Not only his purposeful intention in it. But thirdly, we see his progressive investment in it. He's building the church. The church was bought 2,000 years ago when Jesus died on Calvary. For as much as you know that you are not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold, amen, you were not redeemed by those things but by the incorruptible blood of Christ is of a land without blemish, and without spot, and the church was purchased 2,000 years ago on an old rugged cross. Oh, the love that drew salvation's plan, and all oh, the grace that brought it down to man. Oh, the mighty gulf that God did span at Calvary. The church was bought. But though the church was bought 2,000 years ago, the church is being built today. It's being built. Ever since the day of Pentecost, I believe, on the birthday, the very birthday when God breathed into her nostrils the breath of life and she became a living soul, and from that day to this day, the church has been being built. And Peter, over in First Peter, uh, over in Second Peter, talks about it as being stones, living stones, added into a building. Y'all read that over there? Y'all read you Over there, it talks about how we come to Christ as a living stone. And we all as living stones. And I love that imagery because it, it, it pictures my life. Like, like I was in some dark quarry. And God, by his amazing grace, poured me out. And, and on May 3rd, 1979, this is my testimony. I love to give my testimony. On May 3rd, 1979, As an 18 year old Marine in trouble with a 15 year old girl pregnant with my baby. By God's amazing grace, He quarried me out from dog, sin, degradation. He brought me by the grace of God to realms of life. By His Holy Spirit, He gave me life. And he brought me into the building. This, this beautiful building that's being built right now. Yeah, yeah. So, so listen, my sins were paid for 2,000 years on the cross. But he had taken what he bought and paid for on May 3rd, 1979, and placed me into the building. And not only is the building growing, but I'm growing. Amen. Because I'm a living stone. Amen. The building is growing. And the building grows every time the Lord adds one to the church. The building continues to grow. And we are built up together. We continue to grow. For instance, now it's been 44 plus years that I've been saved. Can I just tell you this? I love this. This is my my story. Y'all out there? This is my story. 44 years ago, when he saved me as a young Marine, 15 year old girl pregnant with my baby. She's been my wife now for 44 years. Four children, seven grandchildren. The Lord is good. The Lord is good. He continues to add to this blessed thing that he called the church. This church is his church. And that church is his church. His progressive investment. But I want you to see not only that. Not only that. Not only his personal involvement. Not only his purposeful intention. Not only his progressive investment. But I want you to see his possessive interest. Mm -hmm. I will build my church. Have you ever heard people say, you're mighty possessive. I am possessive about what's mine. What God has given me to possess, I ought to be possessive about it. I'm possessive about my wife. I'm possessive about my children. I'm sure possessive about my grandchildren. No, I hope I don't mean that in some unhealthy kind of way, but I want you to know that Jesus is possessive about his church. Jesus says, It's mine, it's my bride. By the way, love me, love my bride. Love me, love my bride. I don't believe you can cut it so thin. I love Jesus, but I don't love the church. I don't believe you can cut it that thin. Love me, love my bride. And as I said, Jesus is the one who's walking in the midst of the candlesticks. Jesus is the one who's making an assessment. And Jesus is the only one who can make a correct assessment. Seems like people are making a living by running down the church. Now the Lord knows those who are his. There are a lot of people who are not, that are in the church but are not a part of the church. I know that. You know that. But it just seems like people are making good living by running down the church. I'm talking about people from behind the pulpit. What's wrong with the church? Well, love me, love my bride. We are his bride. He's the bridegroom. We are his body. He is the head. We are his brethren. He is the elder brother. We are joint heirs together with him. We are his building. He is the cornerstone. We are the branches and he is the vine. And it takes that vital connection. Branches to the vine that produces the fruit. Have you ever noticed that the the branches produce nothing? The vine produces. The branches simply present. What the vine produces, the life is in the vine. And Jesus says, it's mine. Look over in John chapter number 17. I love this prayer. I love eavesdropping on Jesus as he prays to the Father. In John chapter number 17, he says several things in John chapter number 17. This is most correctly the Lord's Prayer, right? Sometimes we call the model prayer the Lord's Prayer. But here is the Lord's Prayer. And Jesus is praying, of course, to the Father. Let's start at verse number six. Jesus says, I have manifested your name to the people now here's what I want you to pay attention to. The people whom you gave me out of the world. See how Jesus talked about his people? See how Jesus talked about The church, these are the people whom God gave to him. See how Jesus looks at the church as a gift from God to him? The church is a love gift from the father of love to his son. He says, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me. Out of the world. That's who we are as Christians. The whole idea of ecclesia means to be what? We are we are called out people in the world, but not what? Of the world. We are we are we hey there's there's four things. Four things in the Bible. They're vagabonds, they're strangers, they're pilgrims, and they're citizens. Now, vagabond has no home. A stranger is a person away from home. A pilgrim is a person going home, on their way home. That's why the Bible calls us pilgrims. We're not vagabonds. We're away from home. We're strangers. We're pilgrims. We're going home. And a citizen is a person who is home. Now, our citizenship is where? In heaven. It's the place of our record. It's the place of our birth. If I want a, a, a birth certificate, I always have to go back to Brunswick, Georgia and get my birth certificate. By the way, by the way Brother Bob, I don't remember me accosting such a big fella like that uh, <laughs> after a meeting, but it sounds like me. <laughs> it sounds like me but I always have to go back to Brunswick because that's the place of my birth. That's where my name is written. And so we're not people from earth trying to get to heaven. We're people born from above, Amen. making it through earth. That's right. And we're people that God has given to the Son. That's what the church is, a gift to the Son. Now notice, You gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me. Again, Jesus is saying they're mine. You gave them to me. Look down at verse number 9. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me. See that again. Those you've given me, for they are yours. All are mine, all mine are yours, and yours are mine. And I am glorified in them, and I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep in your name which you have given me, all right? Keep them which you have given me, that they may be one. Four times already. Then down to verse number 24. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me, that's the fifth time, may be with me where I am. Five different times in this prayer, Jesus talks about how, how we as God's people have been given to him by the Father. So he says, hey, you're mine. You're mine. You're mine. And Jesus has a possessive interest with everything that has to do with the church. Lastly, he says, listen, I will build my church, his personal involvement, his purposeful intention, his progressive investment, building it, his possessive interest, he says, it's mine. And then fifthly, I will build my church. This is his precious inheritance. You know, it doesn't seem right that we would get him he would get us. Nobody here would say that's a fair exchange. That the Lord Jesus would get us and we would get him. But do you know he views us as his precious inheritance? He views the church in such tender terms. That's why he alone is the one who can make the assessment. He alone is the one who knows intimately what's happening in any person here as a constituent member of the church or any church. So let's be very, very careful about how we talk about and how we deal with the church. I often say that the church is kind of like in many respects, and I've pastored now for about 36 years. In many respects, the church is like Noah's Ark. Right? There is a stench on the inside. But there's a storm on the outside. And I, hey, I'd rather be on the inside than on the outside. The church is his precious inheritance. And I'm learning how, by the grace of God as a 63-year-old man, now I'm learning how to appreciate his people. As As a younger preacher, I didn't appreciate the people of God so much as I should I was aggravated and irritated with people. Well, one preacher told me, now, if you, if you can't stand the way sheep smell, you ain't got no business being a shepherd. <laughs> Did that get in? So, so I had to, but, but, but again, God is working on me. He's a God of endurance. He just keeps on going, keeps on going. And now at 63 years old. I'm having such an appreciation for the people of God. And uh, I travel quite a bit. I'm a teaching pastor in St. Simon's, but I I travel quite a bit. And I get, I, I say quite often, I wish the people of God could go with me to different places and just enjoy the people of God. what many might call high church, I've been there. Uh, churches in the hills of Kentucky, I just came from there, where they got a banjo and a fiddle in the praise team. I ain't talking about no violin, I'm talking about a fiddle. <laughs> and a fellow with overalls and a big old red wiry beard. And I'm thinking, that's my brother. <laughs> And just being able to travel and move around and see the people of God. And yes, Brother Bob, I love what you said. We love this book. Now, you, you may cut it a little bit different. I may cut it a little bit different from you. But I love what David says. I'm a companion of all they that love God alone. person love this book and try to live by it. And I love God's people. And I'm learning how to see the church as being precious because it's precious to him. He loves his church. He loves us, and I want to say to you: when you think about the church, think about it with amazement. I mean, from every every people and language, and tribe and tongue, God, by His amazing grace, has brought us together into this building. I'm not talking about this building on Ferguson Avenue. I'm talking about on this glorious growing building that's called the church. Think about the church with amazement. People you would never have been associated with in your slice of life, brought together and they're your brother, they're your sister. Think about the church with amazement because we're a community of grace and God's grace is amazing to see Where God has brought us all from. I talked about my journey and where God brought me from. Think about where God found you. Yet he has placed you here in the body. Here in the building. It's beautiful. It's his precious inheritance. Think about the church not only with amazement. But think about it with encouragement. That I am a constituent part of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you are. And the Bible says we're to encourage one another. And so much the more as we see the day approaching, let's spend less time arguing and fussing about things. It's not going to matter that much in eternity. God's going to straighten us all out when we get there. Yeah, we all got a straightening out. You say, well, I just got issues. Yeah. You know, you know what issues are? Issue. <laughs> It's it's you. Just, Just learn how, by the grace of God, to settle in and enjoy the people of God. This is our very large, very odd family, but it's family. I is your brother. You wouldn't wear this, but I would. Deal with it. I'm your brother. I say to the people where I pastor quite often, we're family. Church is family. Amen. Listen to me. Family. And every family has got its issues. Every family. Right? I heard somebody say, we all got a crazy ant in the cellar. <laughs> but listen, we're family. I teach the people where I pastor has an acrostic. F-A-M-I-L-Y. Forget about me, I love you. What if that were the mantra? What would, that, what would this church be if that were the mantra of this church? Forget about me. Let each esteem other <coughs> as more important than themselves. Forget about me. I love you. Think about the church. Think in terms of amazement and think in terms of encouragement. And think in terms of discernment, discerning the Lord's body. Some people got in trouble in 1 Corinthians chapter number 11 because they didn't discern the Lord's body. Not the body he walked around in 2,000 years ago, but the body he's operating in today, this mystical body, the body called the church, and how you and I are to esteem one another because the Lord loves you. And the Lord loves me, and the Lord loves us. And we are His precious inheritance. And because I love Him, I love you. And I think about the church in terms of amazement, and encouragement, and discernment. But I'll tell you the last thing I think in terms of commitment. I, I don't know when the Lord's coming. One brother says, In 55 years, may we be found faithful. Well, me, in 55 years, may I be found in heaven. <laughs> Amen. But ever how long I have here, I want to be committed to Jesus Christ and his church. Amen. And I'm not just talking about some church in some ethereal sort of a way. I'm talking about the local church. Uh, I'm not talking about all Christians everywhere, yes, but some Christians somewhere. Right? Be Faithful to his church. If everyone in my church were just like me, what kind of church would my church be? Hey, if everyone, it's amazing how people want to have a friendly church and they ain't friendly. (laughs) By the way, by the way, I know it ain't ain't, I know you're not supposed to say ain't, okay? I say that because some folk can't get past your English, but I tell people all the time, I'm not ignorant. I have a PhD. It stands for Plain High School Diploma. (laughs) (laughs) But listen, it's amazing to me. People want a friendly church and not friendly. They want a giving church and they don't give. I mean, it's amazing. Hey, if everyone in my church were just like me, suppose you said that, if everyone in my church were just like me, what kind of church would this church be? Would we be a praying church? Would we be a church carrying the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and talking to our, not just talking about the missions and evangelism in terms of the nations. What about your neighbor? What about the person you live next door to? Who needs to be born again? If everyone in my church were just like me, what kind of church would my church be? If everyone in your church were just like you, what kinds of things could your church do? Let's think in terms of amazement. And let's think in terms of encouragement. And let's think in terms of discernment. And let's think in terms of commitment to this church. Jesus says, I will build my church. Father, this morning, in the name of Jesus, the Lord, the Christ, we come and we thank you for this great privilege of sequestering ourselves away from a busy world. that clamors after us that would distract us. It's after our affections, and after our ambitions, and after our tensions. it's good for us to be here as Peter said in the mount it's good for us to be here we just pray that these few scattered words that the Holy Spirit of God will seal these things to our hearts and Father when we leave this place today what will be echoing in our hearts is not what a great pastor we had, or a great preacher we had, or a great service we had, or a great fellowship after we had, or what a great church, Ferguson Avenue Baptist Church is, but what a great, what a Savior. Hallelujah, what a Savior. And so we pray that you would do that work that only you can do, in Jesus' name, for our sake, Amen.